Well, hello and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark and thank you for joining us again. Welcome if it's your first time. We cover the highways and byways of jazz recorded history and today we're going to be listening to some of the music of some of the great African-American Harlem bands. I say great, but they're largely in the second if not the third tier of bands. After we think of bands like Duke Ellington's and Fletcher Henderson's and so forth, we have some other groups like Chick Webb's first band and uh, Cab Calloway's and uh, Charlie Johnson and so forth. These bands are we're going to listen to today are probably a, a level below that, not because of musical quality, but because of the familiarity of the personnel. Not many great uh, jazz stars of the time in these groups, although several of them became much better known in the 1930s. These recordings were all made towards the end of the 1920s. And these were bands that were active on the club scene. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is Leroy Smith and his orchestra. Not a well-known name, certainly, but he had uh, a band that uh, played at Connie's Inn at the end of the 1920s for quite a while. And Connie's Inn, which was run by uh, the pseudo-gangster Connie Imerman, uh, later became the home to Fletcher Henderson's band in the very early 1930s. So it had a, a long run of jazz tradition there. Leroy Smith was from Detroit. He was an African-American uh, violinist who uh, was interested in creating good music and good dance music, not necessarily jazz. In fact, some people have dubbed him the Black Paul Whiteman, and uh, some of his approaches we'll see uh, sort of fits into that category. He had recorded in 1921 and 1924. We're not going to listen to those recordings, but uh, he maintained a somewhat consistent personnel up through uh, 1928, which is when we're going to pick up the story here. This is uh, Lloyd Smith and his orchestra, as I said. And the personnel in this case is going to be... Uh, Charlie Gaines and Frank Belt on trumpets. Charlie Gaines was probably the soloist. He shows up in some very fine recordings in the 1920s. Wilbur DeParis of the DeParis Brothers plays trombone. He'll get some features in there. Uh, Emerson Harper plays clarinet, alto sax, and oboe. Harold Henson plays alto sax, cello, and string bass. Very uh, interestingly... Uh, situated band here. A fellow named Stan Peters plays tenor sax and bassoon. Harry Brooks uh, plays piano. And uh, Sam Speed was a noted uh, black banjo player of the day. Fred Peters plays bass. And on drums, we have a fellow named Edward Beeler. Also, we're going to have John Long on violin because it's speculated that Leroy Smith was just waving the baton at this point and didn't actually play. So the recordings we're going to hear were done for RCA Victor in New York uh, on February 23rd, 1928, that's the first two, and April 2nd, 1928, the last one. There were only three recordings from this period. There was a, another one that was, I guess, a sort of a pseudo-gospel pseudo tune that was rejected and doesn't exist anymore. But we're going to hear the three tunes from that period. We're going to hear a dance band arrangement of the Gershwin uh, number, Rhapsody in Blue, which hits all the themes. It's kind of a, an up-tempo jog through all the themes. Kind of an interesting way of listening to this piece, because, of course, Gershwin uh, wrote this for a dance band. He wrote it for Paul Whiteman's band in 1924, and when Ferdy Grofe scored it, it was for uh, a pretty standard dance band. It was later in the Hollywood Bowl version, as they used to call it, that uh, it was scored for an orchestra or a pops orchestra. So this is a little bit closer to the original. 
After uh, Rhapsody in Blue, we're going to hear a concert arrangement of the St. Louis Blues, and there were quite a few of those in the late 1920s. James P. Johnson uh, apparently did one. Uh, we remember the Bessie Smith film, St. Louis Blues, which had a kind of a concert arrangement, and there were others as well. Then we'll jump up to the April uh, date, and we will hear I'm a Broken-Hearted Blackbird, an interesting uh, tune that uh, reflects uh, the style period very nicely. Following that, we're going to hear two tunes by a, a very underrated stride pianist named Joe Steele. We've played some Joe Steele recordings in the past when he was the piano player for the early version of the Chick Webb Band in the early to middle 1930s, uh, but here he had his own group. In the personnel here we have... We have uh, Ward Pinkett and uh, either Jack Wilson or Langston Curl, the discographies tell us, on trumpet. Langston Curl uh, played with uh, some of the Kansas City bands and uh, came east and played with Cab Calloway for a while, but Ward Pinkett is probably the soloist. Jimmy Archie on trombone, he was a, a, a ubiquitous presence from the late 1920s all the way up to the middle 1940s in New York doing studio dates before he switched over to Dixieland. In the reed section, we have Charlie Holmes on clarinet, alto, and soprano. He was better known for playing with the Louis Russell and then later with the uh, Louis Armstrong band. Gene McKell plays tenor sax. He was an interesting player uh, who uh, toured Europe. His father was a well-known World War I-era band leader. Joe Garland plays tenor and alto and baritone sax. Percy Richardson on banjo, Frank Smith on tuba, and Gerald Hobson on drums, and Joe Steele, the leader, plays piano. This is Joe Steele and his orchestra recording for Victor on June 4th of 1929 in New York, and we're going to hear uh, the Coal Yard Shuffle and Top and Bottom, a couple of original tunes by him. So that's our set coming up. We have Leroy Smith and his orchestra, Rhapsody in Blue, St. Louis Blues, and I'm a Broken-Hearted Blackbird, and then Joe Steele and his orchestra, Coal Yard Shuffle and Top and Bottom. Thank you. 
So that was a tale of two very different bands active in Harlem in the late 1920s. And these African-American bands played in clubs. Uh, they were required to do dance music and a certain amount of jazz, but they were also expected to play for shows and so had to be good reading musicians as well to play for dancers and comedians and what have you. And occasionally for films if they were playing in, in uh, moving picture palaces, as they were called. So we started out with... Uh, Leroy Smith and his orchestra, and that was probably one of the most technically uh, advanced bands of the period, African-American bands. Uh, he came by that uh, moniker, the Black Paul Whiteman, honestly. He uh, really had a, a, an exceptionally good show band. All the musicians in that group were quite good uh, readers and score readers and so forth. No major jazz performers in there, but uh, we had some good solos regardless. So we heard that very interesting arrangement of Rhapsody in Blue, a uh, dance band arrangement, taking lickety-split so they could get through all the different themes. Emerson Harper, I believe, was the clarinet player on that. He was a very good clarinet player. I think Garvin Bushell recalled him in his autobiography as being one of the better players at the time. And then we heard... Uh, a little bit of Charlie Gaines on trumpet here and there, and Wilbur de Paris on trombone. Wilbur de Paris, of course, had a very long career extending into the 60s with the de Paris Brothers Orchestra. He reinvented himself as a New Orleans-style player uh, and had a very successful band with his brother, Sidney de Paris. So, as I said, we did Rhapsody in Blue, followed by the St. Louis Blues, a very... Uh, precise concert-style arrangement of that tune, and then finished up with a Tin Pan Alley tune of the day, I'm a Broken-Hearted Blackbird, all done in a very uh, energetic but precise dance band style. Then we went over to two tunes that were recorded by Joe Steele and his orchestra. Joe Steele was a particularly interesting figure. As I said, he was a very underrated stride pianist, and we heard solos on both of those tunes that we heard. The uh, Coal Yard Shuffle and Top and Bottom both had piano solos in there. He also composed and arranged them. He was known as an arranger later in his career. He did a few things for Chick Webb and then other bands as well. He had been born in Georgia but raised in Boston, uh, where he came from a very prominent black family. Uh, he... Uh, Joe Steele graduated apparently from the New England Conservatory with a degree in education, music education, and taught as well as played. His brother Julian became an advocate for uh, race relations and integration, and he was a fairly famous uh, figure in the Boston scene in West Roxbury and different places, and uh, he was uh, one of the earliest black uh, elected officials, town officials. He had a, uh, a mixed marriage, which in the 1920s and 30s was not common at all, and uh, ended up doing quite well for himself and uh, bought a farm in West Newbury, just north of Boston. Very interesting family. Uh, and Joe Steele himself continued playing, lived into the 1960s, and uh, actually a little bit longer than that, and ended up uh, uh, being interviewed uh, occasionally for jazz uh, publications and uh, so forth, although he didn't record much beyond the 1930s. As I said, he was heavily featured with the early Chick Webb Band, and uh, their time at the Savoy was a continuation of Steele's uh, experiences at the Savoy Ballroom with the Savoy Bearcats, which we, uh, the recordings of which we heard uh, in a podcast some time back. And he took over a band by violinist Henry, Henry Sapporo, uh, and uh, had that band in a club that was called the Bamboo Inn. It was actually Henry Saparo, and uh, kept that band after Saparo left or was kicked out, and that's the band that we just heard playing Coal Yard Shuffle and Top and Bottom. And there we heard some fine trumpet work by Ward Pinkett, 
some trombone by Jimmy Archie. Charlie Holmes played clarinet and alto. Uh, Joe Garland did some baritone sax solos in there, too, and a good, solid rhythm section as well. A pity the band did not record more, but several of the players uh, transitioned over to Chick Webb's early bands. So now we're going to listen to a group uh, about which very little is known. Uh, this is a band that was uh, that made three recordings, four actually, actually to be honest, five recordings, one of which was uh, rejected and the last of which I haven't been able to find. So we're going to listen to three recordings by Wooding's Grand Central Red Caps. And for a while this was thought to have been a Sam Wooding item, who was a great band leader. We're going to be doing a podcast on him coming up in a while, but alas, it is not. It is by a fellow named Russell Wooding. And it's a standard dance band with three brass and three reeds and piano, banjo, tuba and drums. And the only personnel that we're absolutely sure of is Percy Robinson on drums. Uh, and we have uh, some vocals as well. Benny Morton may have played trombone on this. Uh, this was a recording from May 20th of 1931, uh, so a little bit later. Again, Victor recording. And we're going to hear three tunes, Nina, Niagara Falls, and I Can't Get Enough of You. Nina and Niagara Falls feature vocals by Willie Jackson, who was a well-known singer at the time, and I Can't Get Enough of You as a vocal by Frank Luther, who I believe was a white studio singer who was brought in for the date. So that will be Winning's Red Caps. I can't uh, tell you any more about that, but it's a good, hot-sounding band that obviously played uh, together and did club work and so forth. Following that, we're going to go over to the three recordings that were recorded by drummer Lloyd Scott. These were done for RCA Victor on January 10th of 1927. Lloyd Scott uh, had come from Springfield, Ohio with a band that he led, or co-led actually, with his brother Cecil Scott, who we'll also hear here. Um, these were done, these are the earliest recordings we're listening to today from 1927, and included a band of very young African-American musicians, some of whom became much better known a few years later. We're going to hear Kenneth Roan and Gus McClung playing trumpets, uh, Kenneth Rohn did the arrangement of the first tune we're going to hear. Dickie Wells here is making his recorded debut on trombone. Uh, I'm not sure if he played with his band regularly or if he was subbing with this. I, uh, it's a little bit unclear at this point. He said something about it in his autobiography. In the reed section, we have Cecil Scott playing clarinet, tenor, and baritone saxes and doing some of the solos. Fletcher Allen and John Williams play clarinet and alto sax. Fletcher Allen later went to Europe and made some recordings. I believe I heard him interviewed on um, uh, radio sometime in the 1990s talking about these recordings. John Williams uh, was the husband uh, of Mary Lou Williams. He was playing at the time with Andy Kirk's band. How he ended up in New York, I don't know. I guess he was subbing and uh, ended up making this recording date. Don Fry, another on our list of underrated stride pianos, uh, is on the piano here. Hubert Mann on banjo, Chester Campbell on bass, and Lloyd Scott on drums. Actually, Chester Campbell on tuba, and he had a recording career that went back to the World War I era. We're going to hear three tunes. The Harlem Shuffle, which, as I said, features an arrangement by Kenneth Rohn. Then, uh, Symphonic Scrunch, uh, which is an interesting tune that... Uh, will feature solos all around it was subtitled or occasionally titled symphonic screech for what it's worth and then the third tune of that date we're going to actually save for the next set after that so those are our tunes for this set we have wooding's grand central redcaps doing nina niagara falls and i can't get enough of you and then lloyd scott and his orchestra doing harlem shuffle and symphonic scrunch <laughs>
I see, the more I want, I can't get enough of you. Oh, I'm crazy about your little kisses, they threw me through and through. And the more I get, the more I want, I can't get enough of you. Oh, when you're near, my heart acts queer, my temperature's high, and I guess you know the reason why. Oh, we spend our time in lovin', that's all we ever do, and the more I get, the more I want, I can't get enough of you.
So again, a couple of very, very different bands. We started out with Wooding's uh, Grand Central Redcaps, largely unknown personnel led by Russell Wooding. I don't even know what instrument he played, if any. But we heard three tunes, well-played dance band arrangements of Nina, Niagara Falls, and I Can't Get Enough of You. And those all featured vocals by Willie Jackson on the first two and Frank Luther on the last. And some good solos interspersed in there, too, by whoever. Anyway, it gives you an idea of the quality of musicianship in these Harlem clubs, even uh, populated by bands that uh, were not full of uh, jazz stars or future stars. Very interesting music. And then we heard the first two tunes by Lloyd Scott and his orchestra, uh, a nice jazz group. Uh, as I said, they came out of Springfield, Ohio. They ended up in New York in the middle 1920s. Lloyd Scott was the drummer and the elder brother, and Cecil Scott the younger played tenor, clarinet, and baritone sax. His playing tended towards the novelty style a little bit at this point. Uh, he became much better known as a jazz player later in the 30s and 40s. He played with Art Hodes and uh, Clarence Williams and many other people. He may also be the clarinet soloist on the Bessie Smith film that I mentioned earlier, St. Louis Blues. We don't know the personnel there, but it kind of looks like him a little bit anyway. And also we heard the uh, recorded debut of trombonist Dickie Wells, who was quite young at the time, and he was a regular member of this band. I said he wasn't, but he, he was. I, he started playing with it when he came to New York, and uh, he was pretty soon to become one of the prominent uh, jazz trombone players of the day. He later played with Fletcher Henderson and uh, Teddy Hill, and of course later on with Count Basie as well. And the two tunes that we heard were Harlem Shuffle and Symphonic Scrunch. Uh, both had interesting solos by all members of the personnel, including Don Fry on piano. As I said, he was really a fine player who didn't get his due either, and he was an arranger uh, as well. Uh, we heard John Williams playing alto and clarinet. I don't believe he soloed, and I'm not sure he was Mary Lou Williams' husband. It might have been somebody by the same name. The John Williams, who was married to Mary Lou, was in fact uh, in Kansas City at the time playing with uh, the Andy Kirk Band, and he might have come to New York for a while and played a bit, but uh, I don't think this was he. Uh, he also shows up in the next sessions uh, by Cecil Scott and his Bright Boys, which we'll talk about in a second. So we have one more tune from Lloyd Scott. We're going to hear the Happy Hour Blues, and these are good sort of dance band arrangements. They may have been more head arrangements, and we're going to hear even more of that uh, on the next four tunes by Cecil Scott and his Bright Boys from November 19th of 1929, again for Victor. All these recordings are for Victor today. Uh, Lloyd Scott decided he didn't really want to be a band leader, or maybe he was voted out by the band, I don't know. He continued playing drums and started doing more of the management uh, of the band, and then into the 1930s, I think he started getting involved in that side of the business more than the playing side. And he and Cecil lived, uh, lived into the 60s and 70s as well. I think Lloyd Scott had a longer life, and I believe he was interviewed at the end of his life as well. So the four tunes we're going to hear to finish off our program by Cecil Scott and his Bright Boys are A Laud, A Laud, a kind of a pseudo-spiritual, followed by In a Corner, The Bright Boy Blues, and The Springfield Stomp. And these are much more loosely arranged and have a lot more solo uh, action in here by the various players. And the trumpet players are Bill Coleman and Frank Newton, and I don't know... Uh, we'll have to see which one did the solos. I think it was Bill Coleman who did many of them, but Frankie Newton, of course, was a very fine player, and he takes the vocal, or the lead vocal, I should say, on Laud Laud. 
Dickie Wells is still with the band playing trombone. We still have John Williams, whichever one he was, and Harold McFerrin playing alto sax. Cecil Scott again on clarinet, tenor, and baritone. He gets a lot of space uh, to solo, as you might expect. Don Fry again on piano. Rudolph Williams on banjo. Mac Walker on tuba. And Lloyd Scott on drums. So those are our tunes for the next set. The last Lloyd Scott uh, recording from 1927, the Happy Hour Blues. And then from almost three years later, at the very end of 1929, we have Cecil Scott and his Bright Boys. Laud, laud, in a corner, Bright Boy Blues and the Springfield Stomp.
Quite interesting music done by uh, largely the same group, two years apart. We started out with the Happy Hour Blues that was done by uh, Leonard, or rather Lloyd Scott and his orchestra, Happy Hour Blues, for Victor on January 10th of 1927. Heard some good uh, Dickie Wells trombone in there, also uh, Cecil Scott on clarinet and baritone sax primarily, and Don Fry, as I said, very underrated piano player. And that was done uh, in 1927, and uh, at some point thereafter, uh, Lloyd Scott went back to just playing drums and managing the band, and his brother Cecil took over. And so we heard the recording date from November 19th of 1929 for Victor of Cecil Scott and his Bright Boys. Similar band. Uh, that last tune, the Springfield Stomp, was a, a kind of a showpiece. It was not a very neat band, I don't think you'd say, but it was certainly a, a, an energetic one. A lot of young players in there. We heard not fewer than three different trombone solos in there, all by Dickie Wells. Uh, the muted one in the middle and open ones at either end. Uh, the trumpet solo, I'm not so sure about. I think it was Bill Coleman. I could possibly have been Frankie Newton, but Bill Coleman had a kind of a distinctive open style. This was pretty early for him. He uh, became much better known as a soloist, of course, in the 1930s, playing uh, in Europe with Django Reinhardt and uh, Dickie Wells, of course, and then later on with uh, Benny Carter and other groups. We also heard Cecil Scott doing some fine uh, clarinet and baritone and tenor work on all of these sides. And the four that we heard were Laud Laud, that kind of spiritual, pseudo-spiritual, that featured a Frankie Newton vocal, along with a chorus there, and I think a Bill Coleman solo as well. Then In a Corner, which had uh, a fair amount of uh, solos all through, and then Bright Boy Blues, which had a lot of reed solos, mostly by Cecil Scott, and then Springfield Stomp. I don't know who the alto soloist was, whether it was John John Williams or Harold McFerrin uh, was a good good player regardless. And in the rhythm section we had Don Fry again on piano taking some effective solos. Rudy Williams, Rudolph Williams I should say, on banjo. Mac Walker on tuba and Lloyd Scott on drums. So thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed this program. You've been listening to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and we've been exploring some of the work of the lesser-known Harlem bands, most of whom, many of whom, only recorded once or twice during their career, but were active in the New York scene and Harlem clubs and uh, thereabouts for the latter half of the 1930s and going in, or 20s rather, and going into the 1930s. So if you like what we're doing, let us know. Please uh, tell your friends, share the podcast, have everybody listen. Like to support us, hit that little button. Love to have some more members of the family. So, thank you very much, and I'll see you on the other side.